it's so normal that one in four adults actually suffer from some sort of mental illness. So I want you to take that in. Count yourself, the person to the left, the person to the right of you, and the person behind or in front of you, that's four. One of you is suffering from mental illness, but we're all high-functioning adults. Mental health affects every aspect of our lives. How we feel about ourselves and the world, how we solve problems, cope with stress, and overcome challenges. Of course, mental health challenges can be difficult to define and address. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Michael B. First. Dr. First is a professor of clinical psychiatry at Columbia University and is the editor and co-chair of the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition, text revision, known as DSM-5-TR. He joins us today to examine the misconceptions surrounding mental health. Dr. First will also highlight how to help you or someone you know who is dealing with a mental health crisis. Dr. First, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, my pleasure. Now, there are tons of terms and mental health disorders that are thrown around in the media. We hear about bipolar disorders, depression, schizophrenia. Let's get to the truth. What is schizophrenia? So schizophrenia is an illness characterized primarily by psychotic symptoms. Now, a psychotic symptom is a symptom where you lose touch with reality. So, for example, you hear a voice and you actually experience it as a real voice talking to you. That would be one of the possible symptoms of schizophrenia. Another uh, symptom is delusions, believing something with complete certainty is being true when in fact it's not. Those are two of the hallmark symptoms, but other symptoms like disorganized speech and being having no motivation. So it's really a cluster of symptoms and it's a condition, unfortunately, that's often lifelong. It has its start um, in the prime of life, adolescence and early adulthood. And people with schizophrenia often get derailed and have a very difficult time functioning, but there are some treatments. It's not uh, hopeless, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult condition. So it, it's a relatively rare, but it's, um, you know, it, it's something that we do have treatments for to make uh, life manageable if you have that condition. Is it the same as having a so-called split personality? Yeah, that's uh, unfortunately, uh, the, yeah, the word schizo is where it comes from. And the schizophrenia meant uh, split brain because there was some sense of, sense of that there was something split in, in, in how you are. In fact, um, the, the split personality, that phrase usually uh, is what people talk about with multiple personality disorder. That's, you know, when you, somebody says split personality, it's usually, which is an actual condition, there's a condition called dissociative identity disorder that used to be called multiple personality disorders. So often when people hear the word schizophrenia, they're thinking of multiple personality disorder. That's a condition where people actually have different personalities if they switch one to the other. Is multiple personality disorder different from a bipolar disorder? Yes. So uh, bipolar disorder is a mood disorder. And, and it's called bipolar because people with bipolar disorder have both ups and downs. So uh, depression is, everybody's certainly familiar with depression. It's normal to be depressed. But a depressive disorder is a, a level of depression, which is the severity and the persistence is such that it gets in the way of your life. So that's, that's one of the most common mental disorders is major depression. Bipolar disorder is like major depression. People with bipolar disorder have the depressive episodes like people with depression, but they also have the opposite. Episodes of elevated euphoric mood, they feel on top of the world, they lose their judgment, they 
get into trouble. Often the people end up having to be hospitalized to protect themselves or others. So that's that's so bipolar really means the the bipolar name means up and down, the ups and the downs. Is everyone affected by a mental health illness uh, in some form, or is that you know just a myth that uh, that's kind of pervasive now? Yes, I mean, I, I think it's important to differentiate between a mental health disorder and symptoms. So, a, you know, mental health symptoms are, are any kind of anxiety, depression, uh, being uh, confused. Those are symptoms that are characteristic of mental health disorders. But having a symptom does not mean you have a mental health disorder. It's normal to be depressed. You wake up you know, on the wrong side of the bed and you're feeling not with it that day, that doesn't mean you have a disorder. It means you may have depression or sadness for the day. In order to consider something a disorder, the symptoms have to be around long enough and get in the way of your functioning in some way. That's the boundary between a disorder and just symptoms. So if you look at the who has a mental health disorder, it's definitely not the case that everybody has always had a mental health disorder. It's certainly the case that mental health symptoms are ubiquitous. Are all mental health disorders permanent? No, no, not at all. I mean, the the main, some of them unfortunately are, but many of them um, happen as an episode and they go away and they never come back. Um, many of them, most of them, respond to some degree to treatment, and some are completely relieved by treatment. So, you know, mental health disorders used to be thought that you know it was having a mental health disorder you'd be stuck with it, but that's certainly not the case. There are a couple of disorders that are very that generally are considered to be lifelong but the most common ones are not now what is a mental health crisis can you define that a little bit and how is that different from uh, a mental health disorder well the word crisis implies that there's some emergency need for help right away if you're in a crisis you're on the verge of not functioning, maybe you are feeling suicidal or homicidal, perhaps. And the crisis is, is the symptoms of a mental health disorder are basically need to be addressed immediately in order for you to continue functioning and not get into trouble. So that's what makes it a crisis. But that's certainly not most disorders. People are not in a mental health crisis. Like like in life, you have periods of your life where you're in crisis, and most of the time we're not. Uh. On the topic of depression, what is the difference between having, you know, a bad week? You're feeling down, um, things aren't going your way, and being depressed. It's it's really the the feeling of depression can be very similar. You know, sadness, pessimism, feel hopeless. So those symptoms, which are, if you go the diagnostic manual that I, um, the editor of, defines all the disorders. The way it defines major depressive disorder, which is the mental health disorder that is the one that it's most common for depression. In order to say somebody has that, you have to have depression plus a bunch of other symptoms. The typical symptoms of depression is you lose interest in things, you have trouble sleeping or you sleep too much, you overeat or lose your appetite, you feel worthless, can't concentrate. That cluster of symptoms together is what defines a major depressive episode. And those symptoms have to be around nearly every day for at least two weeks. So that you need the duration, you need the uh, cluster of symptoms, and the severity so that it's interfering with your life. So that's what differentiates sadness, which is normal, a normal human reaction. When things don't go well, it's normal to feel sad or you lose someone. Um, it's you know, a grief reaction. You feel sad or you, you know, get fired from a job or you don't get what you, whatever it is that those are normal human emotions. Anger. I mean, all kinds of emotions are anxiety. There's, it depends upon. Uh, the context, and usually, if it if it's temporary, we do not consider that evidence of a mental health disorder. Now, are 
all mental health conditions um, something that run in families or only some? How does um, genetics play a part in mental health? It's variable. Certain disorders are, are very, very um, genetic, meaning that I mean, the, the, the one way you could see what genetic, the best way to see how much something genetic is in these kinds of studies, you do, you find identical twins. So if you have identical twins, in theory, their genes are exactly the same. So the degree to which you have one twin has one condition and the identical twin has the same condition, if that happens 100% of the time, that means it's completely genetic. If it happens 50% of the time, that suggests that there's some environmental factors that combine with the genetics that cause the disorder to happen. So that's what ge the genetics is a very variable thing. But certain disorders are considered to be more hereditary than others. Uh, things like schizophrenia, for example, if you have a relative uh, uh, with schizophrenia, you're much more likely to have schizophrenia yourself. Same is true with bipolar disorder. Same is true with depression. Same is true with substance use disorder. So most of the disorders, there's at least some genetic component, but the degree to which it's genetic is very variable from one disorder to another. Now, we mentioned that not all mental health uh, disorders are permanent, which is great. Can they go away you know, on their own or do all mental health disorders or mental health challenges require some sort of intervention in some way? Not always. I mean, if you get an evaluation for a problem, one possible recommendation is let's just see what happens. Because many disorders, if a bad thing happens and you're depressed, for example, and you feel very sad and it's like a week into it, it's very likely that if another week goes by, it'll go away on its own. You don't need any treatment at all. But if, if it if you, when it goes on and on and on, you don't get treatment, it's beginning, it suggests that it probably will not go away on its own. You need to have intervention. So that's why it's extremely important. If you have a condition and it's lasting long enough and it hasn't gone away on its own, then seeking help is something we always recommend. Now, I think we can probably assume the, uh, the answer to this question, but maybe you can dive a little bit deeper into it. Is mental health a sign of weakness or there's something wrong with you? Um, is that actually what the case is? Well, that's the big problem with the stigma for mental health. A lot of people amazingly will not take medication for mental health conditions. They won't see a mental health professional because it feels like it's a, uh, it's, their character is weak and it reflects on them as a person. And because of that, they feel so ashamed of it. They keep quiet about it. Or used to be you have a family member who had a mental illness. Nobody ever talked about it because having a mental health disorder was considered to be a sign of shame. Luckily, in the past 50 years, that has made some major changes. I think part of it has to do with the number of celebrities who've come out and, and, and shared the fact that they've had these conditions. That helps to really destigmatize. It shows a person can feel comfortable enough sharing it. And it really shows that these things are really quite common. And it's often helpful to be able to talk about it. So I think that the, there's, unfortunately, there's still a lot of stigma. I mean, despite that, I think a lot of people continue to be very embarrassed and do not want to seek help because it's, either it's embarrassing or they just don't, they feel that it's a, a statement of their character and they don't want to uh, tell anybody about that. Yeah, even according to the CDC, mental health is among the most common health conditions in the U.S. Uh, like you said, the stigma is still there um, and it still remains. Are there any ways that we can overcome the stigma around mental health? What should people do? What should society do? I know that's a big question, but uh, maybe you have <laughs> maybe you have an answer. On an individual level, I think that it depends upon one's situation. Very often people assume that if they share 
the fact that they have a mental health condition, the, the person they're sharing it with will sort of communicate that they disapprove of that. I think that's that that's an assumption that people have. And more often than not, much more often than not, that's not the case. People understand that they're em empathic. And if, in fact, you do get the courage to share it with someone who cares about you and they show you that they don't have a negative reaction, in fact, they want to help you, that could be very, very comforting. So I would encourage people if they're hesitant to share and they want to keep it secret. Now, certainly there are going to be people, they, maybe they have a, a, a grandmother or something, they know what they think about mental health conditions. You may not want to share it with that person. But most people nowadays, younger people in particular, understand that mental uh, health disorders are just like medical conditions. And you know, the, it used to be like, it used to be true for some medical conditions. Cancer a long time ago was the same kind of thing. You would never say that you had cancer. You wouldn't even tell patients they had cancer. There was such stigma. That luckily has really uh, improved. I think the mental health disorders are among the last ones to get destigmatized. And I think we've made major progress, but I think over time it'll continue to get um, less and less stigmatized. And the other one, substance use disorders is the same way. I think those are you know, generally quite stigmatized, but I think people are, are seeking help and getting less uh, stigma from it. Do you think in your, I guess in your eyes, has social media impacted mental health in a negative way and a positive way? Are there both you know, good and bad aspects of uh, social media when it comes to mental health? Exactly, absolutely. It's good and bad. I mean, it's good in the sense that people who you know, tell their story about their mental health condition. First of all, to hear somebody, if you are suffering from a mental health condition, you never told anybody and you go on social media and somebody's telling their life story and you see they have the same thing and they tell you they went and saw, saw treatment and now they're completely better. That's a huge impact in motivating people to actually get help because people often think that if you have this, it's hopeless. There's no reason to get help because it's never going to get better. So if you hear story after story of people talking about how they have this, they sought help and got better, that's a, a positive thing. The negative, of course, is there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, people who are on social media who are not uh, are very critical and make fun of people and bully. You know, there's a lot of bullying and sharing something that you have a mental health disorder would be true for the physical disorder as well. But sharing something vulnerable about yourself could get some stranger to come after you. So that's the the problem with social media that you 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 can't you know control who reacts to what you post. And sometimes it's mostly it's 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 positive people that give a very nice you know, I had that, I really better, you should get help, or the opposite. So I think social media goes both ways. Yeah. Uh, what are some ways we can combat mental health challenges in our day-to-day -day lives? Let's say, you know, we're, we feel like we're struggling for a little bit. Um, we may want to, to seek help or uh, we want to you know, take care of something on our own. What are some ways we can combat these mental health challenges? Well, some conditions actually can be improved by lifestyle changes. Getting enough sleep, and exercising and eating right. I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but that's this, a huge amount of data that shows that all three of those are very, very important uh, to come. If you're feeling down or anxious, if you make corrections there, you can actually have a, a, a positive impact on uh, what you're suffering from. So that's for starters. And you know, reducing stress, if that's possible, and you know, be, you know, reaching out to other people. You know, uh, one of the things that happened during COVID was people's being cut off. I think the rates of you know, depression and anxiety went up largely because people got very isolated. And that kind of proves the point that social interaction with people who, you, who care about you is very, very helpful in making you feel grounded and, and will help usually improve most mental conditions. So I think seeking out 
help seeking out activity. You know, depression is a good example. You stay in your room and brood about it all day and, and avoid doing the kinds of things that normally would give you pleasure. That's a recipe for not getting better. But forcing yourself to go out and get together with friends, that usually helps. So what happens is people with depression have a distorted thinking. They're very pessimistic. They assume that nobody wants to be with them, that they're a drag. So they won't even call anybody up. Or if somebody calls them up to go out, they'll say, no, no, I don't want to. If they could force themselves to go out, they'll actually show that, in fact, it's helpful to go out. If you get past that barrier of thinking negatively, you could sort of disprove that negative attitude by doing it and seeing that, in fact, things go very, very well. What should someone do um, if they are having a mental health crisis or they think they may be having a mental health crisis? What should they do? Well, it's a, a couple of options. I mean, I think there are hotlines. I mean, suicides, there are a number of suicide hotlines. And there are people who are, are trained and th those lines are open. And their point is when you call those hotlines, that person will talk with you and help, you know, listen to what you have. And if they think that you need professional help, they would would suggest perhaps it would be really helpful to go uh, seek that help. So that's one thing your primary care doctor has. They are trained to use you know, many of the medications that we use for psychiatry. And they're capable of, I mean, because it's, mental health disorders are so common and primary care doctors are, are basically see all kinds of conditions, they're in a way the first line for getting help. So, you know, a primary care doctor either will treat the person on their own, or they'll have a network of other counselors or other people that they could refer to. So that's one. And the other is um, family members. I mean, you know, telling, that's one of the advantages actually of sharing. If you're depressed and you've never told anybody about it and you tell a family member or friend about that, they may say, oh, actually, I just, my therapist is the best. And then they could help you find uh, a referral as well. So there's many, many things you can do to try to get help. The important thing is to feel that it's okay to get help and and try to seek it because help it can be very very effective. Let's say a family member or friend comes to you telling you that you that they have um, you know some sort of mental health challenge or they're dealing with some some depression or anxiety whatever it may be. Is there a way that you would recommend uh, that person react? Uh, how would they go about helping them? What are some of the strategies there? Well, one of the things, if, it's, if a family member tells you that, the first thing to do is to don't is to destigmatize it by wanting to hear, tell me more. And then when they start telling you, empathy, oh, that sounds really terrible. And how are you feeling? You know, that, that kind of interaction, that in and of itself can be therapeutic. So I think that reacting with, with wanting to help is probably one of the most important things. It's just being accepted. Thing because again, many people with mental health disorders, because they've been so stigmatized, I think people just assume that if you share this with someone, you're going to get a negative reaction. So if a family member does tell you and you actually show them that you're welcoming hearing about it and you'd like to do anything that could help, that could be very, very helpful because many people feel very alone and isolated and that many mental disorders are made worse by this feeling of isolation. And then sometimes I, th I think if you feel the person is in danger of hurting themselves, then I think that you would might want to recommend that they get help very strongly. And if they are in danger of hurting themselves and they don't want to get a treatment, the last resort is to call for you know a EMS or somebody to take that person and get them help uh, in a safe environment. Okay. When it comes to mental health challenges, do you need to use medication? Um, you know, how does that process go from, you know, as a psychiatrist, how does that process go about prescribing someone medication to assist with their mental health? 
it kind of depends on the condition. There are certain conditions like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder where it's widely accepted that it, it, the only way to really get better is to be taking medication. But there are many conditions, even depression. I mean, a lot of people take antidepressants, but there are many, many studies that show that certain kinds of, of psycho psychotherapies for depression, like cognitive behavioral therapy is the best study, that that works equally well as taking medication. So it's really your choice. So uh, if, if a good psychiatrist, when somebody were to come, I would give them both choices. I, you know, medicine could work very well, but if you'd rather do psychotherapy, the advantage of psychotherapy for depression is you actually learn skills that you can take forward. If you are seeing the world in a negative way, one of the aspects of the treatment is to identify your negative thoughts and sort of counter them with positive thoughts. And, and that's a whole thing. You learn that skill, which is one of the big advantages. You do that enough the depression will lift. And taking a pill, on the other hand, you don't learn anything other than the fact that the pill will help, which is good, but the, you can't really carry that forward. So I think there's a there's a big advantage of psychotherapy over medication in the fact that it's a skill that you learn. It can help prevent uh, future episodes of depression. Uh, Dr. Burst, is it ever too late to get help? Uh, we feel like we've exhausted all options and nothing's working. And if you get to that point, what do you think are the best resources to find that help that you desperately need? One of the, the challenges in treating mental health disorders is a lot of the medications work for some people and not others. So if you've had some lack of success, I would not, there's lots of reasons that may have nothing to do with your condition being untreatable. You may be, have given the wrong treatment. You may not inter, you know, connect well with the therapist. So I wouldn't, I mean, it's, it's certainly understandable if somebody's been in three different therapies and they will fail, the person may fail forget it. I'm just never going to get better. But the, the therapies are so different and the interactions with the therapist can be so different that I think it's important to continue looking for a good therapist. I mean, if you just randomly call people up, you're going to have a hard time finding necessarily somebody better. But um, sometimes things just don't click or the right medication hasn't been tried or maybe the wrong diagnosis was made. If you get the wrong diagnosis, you may be getting the wrong treatment. So there's always, you know, I would, I would, assume that there's something that wasn't done right or that you're not in, that somehow the treatment isn't optimized there's that you know find a different person and often just getting a different treatment with a different person will be enough to to make it better another issue about being too late a lot of people who've never ever gotten help had depression for you know let's say somebody's in their 70s and they're depressed and they've been depressed all their life and they've never gotten help somebody may say well if i haven't gotten help now you know forget it it's too late it's never too late you know depression is very common in the elderly and i see this a lot where uh, you know somebody is older and they get depressed and you speak to them and say well if you were old and had arthritis you'd be depressed too that's a very common issue with with depression whenever you say oh if you had x you'd be depressed too but that's not the case you can be sad but to actually have a clinical depression shows that it's gotten out of hand and, and it's not the case that if you had that anyone would be depressed so i would i always try to counter that idea that it may feel that way that it, your feelings are connected and reasonable given how stress but that's often a distortion so i, I would always counter the idea that the the, whatever the thing that appears to be triggering it is, is explains it all, and therefore there's no need to get treatment. Dr. First, finally, uh, where should people go if they have questions uh, or are looking for more resources uh, about mental health? Right. One of the things that is uh, available now that wasn't available 30, 40 years ago is the internet. The good, which is good and bad, but this is a lot of bad information on the internet. I've had patients, in fact, 
tell me all kinds of things they see, and they're completely wrong, and that could be very discouraging or send them in the wrong direction. So the internet's both good and bad. If you go to a reputable site that's usually run by an organization um, like the National Alliance of and NAMI, National Alliance for Mentally Ill, they have good sites. The National Institute of Mental Health in particular has an entire section about every single condition and what the treatments are. And then, and, and, and then just educating yourself about the conditions. One place to look is the Merck manu Manual. I mean, that's an amazing resource for not just mental health issues, all medicine. But the, I think the section on mental health really tr try hard to explain all the disorders, what they're like, and what the, the treatment options are. You still need to ultimately go to a healthcare professional to decide. I mean, you're not, the problem with looking over the internet or opening up a book is you're, you, that's helpful, but often it really requires the experience and knowledge of, a, of an actual mental health professional to really pick what the, to optimize the right treatment for a particular person. Well, Dr. First, thank you so much for joining us uh, on today's episode. It was a super enlightening conversation, uh, covered a lot of topics, but obviously there's plenty more that to still be uncovered when it comes to mental health. So as we do uh, always uh, on this podcast here, I'll leave our listeners with uh, the one statement. Medical knowledge is power. Pass it on. Thanks so much.